0: I saw El Hobbit three when I was in uh Cabo for my honeymoon. <laughs>
1: El Hobbit three. El
0: Hobbit Trace, uh, and it was, you know, like uh, at the resort we were staying at, you know, they got these movie channels and they basically just like loop one movie for like 12 hours. Oh, yeah. And so like half of every day, this one channel just played El Hobbit 3. And I and, like my, I started trolling Kyle. like Every time we'd come back to our room, I'd be like, got to check in on yeah. El, Ho- El Hobbits. Where and, are they? Uh, and I basically like saw the whole thing out of order uh, on like a terrible television in mexico um it's the best way to watch it It just it looked uh, i was super confused it just looked like a lot of like like battle sort of stuff
1: i've seen all three of them
0: uh do you remember like when they're like on the ice oh yeah you know, that's like, the the very end that's the the big climactic i saw it out like 100 times
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I and mean, that's all you need really i mean yeah 100's all you need
3: the policeman isn't there to create disorder the policeman is there to preserve this order. Gentlemen, get the thing straight, once and for all. We clear the streets along this route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. He won't have a chance. I challenge you to a duel. Oh, wow. I tell you the truth, this guy's starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> you want to crown him? Then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let him on the hook. It's hot. It's hot out there.
0: Let's, we all walk out there very, very, very... Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Gauntlet. I am one of your hosts, Eric Marsh, and as always, I'm here with... Andrew Stesulis. And... Ryan Saunders. The Gauntlet is a weekly double-feature podcast in which one of the hosts picks a topic, and the other two hosts pick films in response to that topic, and we get together and have it out. It's episode 22, Spooktober, and I asked the boys to bring me films about and or relating to bicycles and cycling, and that's what we got this week, you know? Uh, Some people do Spooktober, some other people do spoketober. and that's what we've got here today on The Gauntlet. So uh, might as well get started. Uh, Andy, why don't you tell us what you brought to the table this week? Absolutely. So
1: I, um, you know, have to at least, you know, start by confessing that uh, I don't own a bicycle and I don't think I've owned a bicycle um, since I was a teenager. So never, never really been much of a, of a bike guy personally. Uh, although, you know, when I exercise, I do tend to go for the, you know, exercise bike, um, (laughs) which, you know, people then say to me like, why don't you just get a real bike? And, and my, my comment is always that I'm, I'm just too distracted. And I just feel riding a bike in the city is such a, um, it's such an intense experience And I just personally feel like I would die. I would kill myself on a bike. So I've always been too intimidated to actually get one. Maybe I'm a coward. Um, But... I then had to sort of, like, dig a little bit and and think, okay. Um, and then in my search, I had come across uh, the poster for a film starring Kevin Bacon, uh, on in which, you know, Kevin Bacon's on this bike, and he's, he's you know, a blur on the cover and, and, and riding very fast, clearly. And so I thought, all right, let's go. And then I looked into it a little bit, and it sounded pretty interesting. So I brought Thomas Michael Donnelly's film, Quicksilver from 1986. Uh, This film stars the one and only Kevin Bacon as Jack Casey. And Jack Casey, when we are introduced to him, is a a hotshot. Uh, stock guy. He's a he's a stonks boy. He's a floor <laughs> trader at the San Francisco Stock Exchange, and uh, you know he's a he's sort of a, a brash, young, arrogant, high-flying trader. And uh, in the beginning of the film, he he's he's in the middle of a of a big, furious day of trading, and he's gambling hard. And people are telling him he's going too far. And sure enough. Uh, he does and in the process bankrupts himself I think loses his company something like 30 million dollars it said but of course like most troubling to him and us what we discover this fact is that he also in the process lost his parents life savings in this deal so he has totally busted himself, fucked up his company and in the process like ruined his parents. So this is very quick in the movie and he's just really sort of crushed and lost and it sends him on this path of, of soul searching that brings him to a bicycle and after purchasing a bicycle begins working for the Quicksilver Bike Messaging Service. And it's here that he's then introduced to a a very colorful and eccentric cast of characters, the other bike messengers, who include Hector, played by Paul Rodriguez, and a very young Larry Fishburne, who plays Voodoo, and a whole bunch of other, you know, uh sort of lovable little rogues who work at the Quicksilver Bike Messaging Service. And this then begins, for him, this sort of struggle with uh, identity and class and family and place to decide, is he going to stay on this bike to just be what many consider to be a a sort of lowly bike messenger? Or will he regain his place in the hallowed halls of capital? And of course, this uh, this is is really the sort of crux of of the emotional journey that that he goes on. But the film is. Actually, a lot more than that. And I think that's what we're gonna discuss as well. It's sort of a very interestingly constructed film in terms of like really pinpointing like what is the climax of this movie and and where does it go? But I had never seen it. I thought it would be perfect, it looked really fun, and uh, it's got as as we were discussing a really kick-ass soundtrack by Tony Banks of Genesis Fame. So that
0: is the film that I brought. Quicksilver, starring Kevin Bacon. Thank you, Ryan. What did you bring? Um, I wanted
2: to ask, Marsh, did you ride your bike today? I did. Oh, nice.
0: I've ridden my bike
2: for every gauntlet. Nice. Yeah, I um, I love biking in the city. Uh, it is one of one of the great pleasures. Uh, I without know. A Everybody doubt.
1: rubs my face in it. All my friends <laughs> are just just bike people, and I. I'm always like, well, I'll meet you
2: there. I'll just, i <laughs> drive, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the Kevin makes a case for why it's so freeing, I think, in, in Quicksilver, you know. Um, so maybe if we can't convince you, Kevin can. You know, so the film that I came across is a film from 1989 by the Iranian filmmaker Mohsen Makhmalbaf, and the film is called The Cyclist. The Cyclist is about afghan immigrant in iran named nasim which means breeze or as other people say in the film he resembles a typhoon more like it and nasim's in a bit of a pickle and uh, we're introduced to this pickle with one of the greatest opening lines i've ever heard in a film which is your wife is a disease collection uh, and that's how we're introduced to the fact that his wife is extremely ill and on death's door. The health care provided is exceptionally expensive and Masim doesn't really have the means to pay those bills. He resorts to ditch digging and other menial tasks that are paid at an extremely low rate because his accessibility as an Afghan immigrant in Iran doesn't provide many funds in order to sort of take care of his family and his wife. And he has a past as a cyclist. So he decides, as sort of a, a stunt to raise money, to ride a bike in a circle for seven days straight. And this sort of spectator event becomes capitalized by other members in the town who decide to start waging bets or bringing in other parties involved to sort of like you know setting up bazaars sort of creating a, a mini economy in the center of the town as our hero just rides endlessly in a circle day and night and he's being cared for by doctors and his and just everyone around him and um and that's essentially it it is a um it's a surprising film, it's quite beautiful. I had not realized it. it, has been so long since I've watched Close Up, but it is the film that had inspired the central figure in Abbas Kiristami's film Close Up to impersonate Mohsen Makhmabaf because he said the cyclist is a part of me. This was the film (laughs) he was so obsessed with. So when he went to impersonate Mohsen Makhmabaf, it was largely in part of uh, the effect that this particular film had on him. Um, And I think that the way this film works on the viewer is something we can talk about and why maybe that, that, uh, you know, (laughs) That appeal uh, registered so strongly with this particular individual. But yeah, that is The Cyclist from 1989. Interesting,
0: once again, that we have, you know, a topic that is, uh, you know, ostensibly one thing, cycling, but both films, right, meet at the intersection of money and cycling and livelihoods and all that and and you know just as a an overall kind of reaction to both of these films which I hadn't hadn't seen good amount of bike stuff you know so I think you, you passed the test there <laughs> uh, there is bike riding in both of these films and we have yeah a, a sort of pairing that is uh you know big on the contrasts this week right obviously the cultural difference between American cinema and Iranian cinema. Um, And what the bicycle represents, I think, in both movies is very different. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, as Ryan
1: even pointed out, uh, when Quicksilver opens, I mean, first we have this kind of, I, I don't know, I guess you could maybe even say sort of like bizarre opening credit montage of just photographs of the cast, the the bike messengers in, you know, all their bike gear, just sort of like mm-hmm. posing, like looking at the camera. Uh, and you get this sort of like extended montage of just like bike
0: people and bike culture. When uh, Kyle walked by and saw the opening credits, she she was like, what was this, shot yesterday? You know, <laughs> like the way people are dressed and look, like oh, the yeah. bike hipster look, uh, still going strong. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah,
1: it's, it's already kind of this, this sort of like, you know, fashion kind of glorification of like that, that culture, that, that, you know, that sort of identity, you know, the, the, the bike person in the city, the urban bicyclist. Um, But, you know, we are introduced not, you know, through um, Kevin Bacon on a bike, we're introduced to like this, this other person, this, this dude is just riding a bike, through the streets of San Francisco and he comes across Kevin Bacon who's riding in a taxi cab, reading the Wall Street Journal in a in a three-piece suit on his way to the stock exchange and he's sort of looking out the window and sees this guy just zipping through the streets and already we kind of get introduced to again this idea of like, yes, the bike is free, here I am imprisoned in this like taxi cab uh, you know, uh, um, subject to to the traffic, whereas this guy it's just whipping around, whipping between the cars. And it, it even sort of makes Kevin Bacon's character jealous because he then offers his cab driver money to 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 beat that guy to like you know get 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 wherever faster than this guy right so it sets off this this even initial chase where he's almost like you think you're free like I can I can you know we can chase you down or whatever but there still is this sense for Kevin Bacon that he's looking at this guy looking at this dude who's got a whole other way of existing on this bicycle and he sees it as a as a sort of like liberating force whereas i think as you've already kind of alluded it's quite
2: the opposite for our character
1: in the cyclist <laughs> what that bike represents
2: yeah it's a it's a prison set up um, <laughs> by society and it's the only way that he can achieve the the needs that uh, to to take care of his family you know you briefly though you so you brought up something that i had a question about with quicksilver is the film So it's obviously shot in a couple different cities. Is it set in San Francisco? Or is it... Okay. I think it's all... Isn't it all shot in San Francisco? I think so. No. A ton of that's New York. And then it's like San Francisco. And then they like... Yeah, there are sequences where it cuts back and forth between San Francisco and New York. That was like one of the things that was like so funny about it. Here, let me pull it up.
0: According to the
2: IMDB trivia...
0: Uh, They shot most of the film in San Francisco, some in L.A., and also, quote shooting locations in New York City were integrated to comprise a non-specific urban setting for oh the film, God. which is absurd because it is not a non-specific urban setting. He's at the San Francisco Stock Exchange, yes. and there's the sa- hills of San Francisco yeah. in all the shots. Yeah, like,
1: you can see the Presidio in the background in yeah. one of the shots. I mean, it's yeah. like, Yikes. In that
2: main race, I mean, this was something I was going to bring up, but in that main race that the two of them have, it cuts between New York and San Francisco within the same Race.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, that stuff so did feel it.
2: more New York-y, Yeah. It's
1: yeah. It was San Francisco or various obvious, very obvious like studio backlots. Like there's a couple like yeah. studio backlot. Like their whole where their bike services. That's like that's such oh, a fucking yeah. backlot. You know. It's like Sesame Street.
0: Looks like. Oh, yeah. It honestly does look like the Sesame <laughs> Street set.
1: <laughs> it, does. it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Wow. I mean, now that you're pointing out, Ryan, because I at first I was just like, I have this uncanny feeling. Like I originally was like. It's New York. But then, very quickly, because they have all their establishing shots, it's fucking San Francisco. And it's so mm-hmm. obviously San Francisco. But I did have that initial confusion where i was like oh it's set in new york
2: makes sense god damn that's so weird like yeah well we thought we thought it was new york until that first shot of the hill and we're like did they go to san francisco just to shoot that hill and then san francisco kept popping up throughout the rest of the film as did la and new york so we were like completely unstuck in time and space like we had no idea (laughs) what the hell was happening in the film
1: you know i mean on a certain level again to me it kind of tracks with how at times kind of muddled even the the plot structure and and the events of of quicksilver can can be so uh you know maybe it was uh just a case of uh you know as the emperor said in
2: amadeus too many notes perhaps, you know, (laughs) but... I actually wish that there were were more notes because initially with the film, I had sort of just read it as, okay, this is like a collection of montages. This is like somewhat appealing, you know, like I'm having fun and like participating in these montages. Um, And then, you know, there's a specific point and we'll get into it with Lawrence Fishburne, well, Larry Fishburne, where they then abandoned the montage structure. And then the film kind of moves on from both him and the montage structure. And I was just desperate for the montage. Just to come back because yeah. initially I thought like, oh, I think I'd like to learn a little bit more about just Kevin Bacon character's life um, because the way it hops around between him being a stockbroker and then taking up being a cyclist, like I wanted to know a little bit more about his past. But then once we started getting some of that, I was just... Give me the montages. <laughs> I, I want to <laughs> get back on the bikes and hanging yeah. out in the Sesame Street back lot, you know? Yeah,
0: and I think, like, the first 30 minutes of Quicksilver are, are fairly enjoyable. And it's, yeah, it's got this, like, fast-cutting montage style. And and at times, you know, because of the, the San Francisco element of the setting, uh, it reminded me of The Driver, uh, the Walter Hill film, mm. because there's all these point of view shots like bike POV and that stuff is very well done. They're zipping in and out of uh you know traffic. They're flying around, they're going fast. It's it's all very it's
1: like proto GoPro footage. Yeah that's like, really yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, to make me think of Walter Hill's the driver, you know, uh kudos to them on the on some of that bike stuff. It's really solid. And yeah, what's interesting is it like sets up Almost this kind of like what you can imagine would be like a Jonathan Demme movie that's about like a bike messenger service and there's all these people, it's multicultural, it's urban, Um, and and the film sort of gestures at that right as we're introduced not just to kevin bacon's life as a bike messenger but also uh terry Uh played by jamie gertz who's this sort of like mysterious runaway uh who's at the messenger service like trying to make money and getting the the lay of the land but the film really doesn't develop that setting as like the workplace really isn't developed Mm -hmm. And the other characters, a couple of them become involved with the Kevin Bacon plotline. But to me, this film is like wrestling with itself in a lot of ways, you know, where it's like it actually has good bike stuff and is very kind of like interested and respectful of bike culture. But the film is afraid to make the movie about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's 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 uh, that's why I made the comment about like too many notes, because I just feel like it's trying to be like several different things Um, and it introduces like a lot of subplots and a lot of those subplots just sort of even get abandoned like uh, it's kind of like it's it's clutching at this it's reaching towards that it's it's planting this it's introducing that and then a lot of them just kind of like sort of just wither away they just sort of like kind of you know, t- take a back seat then to some new p- subplot that kind of gets introduced halfway through the film. And you're like, where the hell was this? Yeah. No, like, even coming from, but you're right. I mean, because it does in a way, like kind of even reminded me of like the lusty men, like, or, or, uh, you know, when we talked about uh, night riders and it has that classic opening of the, here's this kind of subculture that many viewers at home might not be familiar with. Let's give them the rules. Let's, let's lay it out for them. And that's, you know, Hector, Paul Rodriguez's character, introducing Terry, the new cyclist, you know, giving the lay of the land for also all of us to like sort of learn the rules. Ah, bike messengers, here's what they do. They go and do this. Here are all the characters and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we get we get that whole thing laid out where again, it's kind of like, oh the rules, okay, here are the rules. Now we're going to play by these rules. But then, yes, like, those rules are sort of abandoned at times. And yeah, at first, like the first 20 minutes, it it kind of feels like, like in my mind, I was almost like, oh, this is just like supposed to be like Footloose on bikes or whatever. <laughs> because you have yeah. these, not just the incredible chases, you know, the film opens with like an incredible bike chase and and there is that. But there's also then just like extended bits of like bike dance. There's like bike these trickery. Yeah, yeah. There's just like bike dance sequences. There's this, um, um, a scene where we get introduced to, to his girlfriend at the time, you know, and he's living in this, this big warehouse loft with a, with a ballerina and she's, you know, getting ready to do her little dance routine, you know, practice in their, in their loft warehouse. And as she's sort of doing her ballet routine, Uh, He gets on a bike and is then, like, kind of dancing around her. They do this sort of, like, duet where she's doing ballet and he's doing, yeah... Bike tricks or whatever around her And I was like oh so that's what this movie's gonna be And then we go to the Quicksilver Bike messaging service and there's just like this Like breakdown scene where Everybody gets up And they all have their, their routine They get to do their tricks and yeah it's this Like cool montage to like You know Tony Banks you know banging away On like a synthesizer or something like that I mean it's like fucking rad I was like if this is What the whole movie's gonna be like This shit kicks ass but right. as you said Unfortunately, it's not.
2: (laughs) It's in those moments that the film most resembles like a canon production, right? You know, it kind of made me think of like the same way that they'll do the the breakdancing movies that Canon produced, um, or if anything, like when they focus on a, a subculture like this, it's like when you get those those montages, it feels like it had the the funding of a Canon production. It's all like on a backlot. It's like glitzy and it's uh, very colorful and goofy. But yeah, we do we lose those. Uh, very very early on well Andy you said the word rad and that's what that
0: bicycle circle sequence of course reminded me of the 1986 film rad uh, which Mm -hmm. has you know extended bike trick sequences and it is funny that I guess like yeah you know I guess I haven't really uh, looked into it a lot but it seems like the 80s late 70s and 80s is really like the beginning of this kind of like bicycle cycle of films, you know, uh, going back to Breaking Away to Rad to to again that sort of like eighties exploitation subculture, some kind of stuff that was going on at the time. And yeah, it's like it's it's really fun, you know. And like yeah, if the whole movie was just like bike tricks, uh, I think it would be in a better place, but. You know, nothing nothing gold can stay.
1: Yeah. Very very quickly we go from like that, like, yeah, this fucking just like rad bike dance like montage, to suddenly out of nowhere, being introduced to a character called Gypsy. Yes. Who is this sort of shady hustler and he in the backseat of his car is 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 selling guns to some Chinese triads. Yeah. And right. all of a sudden I'm like what the fuck is this? Like where yeah. is this coming from? Cause already I'm just kind of like, you know, again, if you think about like this sort of like classical Hollywood construction within the first 15, 20 minutes of the film, we've got it, we've got the movie, we have the internal conflict, we've got it all laid out, Kevin Bacon, lost everything, you know, living this, this shallow, vacuous life as a, as a, as a stonks boy, and now he's meeting the colorful subculture of the bike folks, and like, what will he do, will he discover that life on the bike, but then it's just like, wait, now this is about organized crime? Like, <laughs> and, uh, like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, that's you know?
2: the thing. The film, as you said, Andy, has all of these signifiers at the beginning for how it will work in this classic Hollywood tradition and you're set up for all these expectations. So once Kevin Bacon fails as a stockholder, he ga- you know, gambles away, essentially, uh, his entire family's wealth. Um, in, a, in a scene I actually quite liked when he goes to tell his father that... All of the money is gone and that like their, their savings are completely depleted and. His father, not knowing what to say, just offers to make him a sandwich because he says, like, oh you look God. pretty hungry. And Kevin Bacon is, you know, he's, like, a little relieved, but he's still really, you know, broken up about it. So he leaves, and then he goes back to speak to his father, and there's that shot of his father. He's, he's like, hunched over the table and crying. Yeah. Uh, second film in The Gauntlet where he, a son sees his, his father break down in tears.
1: You're right, though. I, I did love that scene. I thought that was such a well-done scene because, again, like, you know, for the dad, in that moment of just being told like his idiot kid or whatever you know his his beloved son however you want to put it like squandered you know his life savings and as we see in his living situation like he's a blue-collar dude his dad is like a Mm blue-collar guy like you know and he's he's old like man imagine that right and and there's just this like there's some really nice little touches in there like you said like His response being like, how about a sandwich? I'm going to make you this nice roast beef sandwich. It's something my dad would do, you know, in stressful situations, kind of being like, we should eat something right now. You know, we shouldn't handle this on an empty stomach. But yeah, he does say like, nah, dad, and he leaves. And there's this really nice, again, little touch. I don't know if you picked up on it where his dad, you know, this tough blue-collar guy, he's got football on the TV. He goes oh, yeah. over, and he turns the volume up. He turns the volume up, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to Kevin Bacon outside. And I was kind of like, why is you turning the TV up? He was turning the volume up so, like, the neighbors wouldn't hear him crying, this, this tough man, right? You know, you oh, got to yeah. hear the football blaring. So he turns the football game up to cover his, like— Macho blue collar tears. Like I was like, this is a really nice and like very affecting and kind of sad moment. And yeah, when Kevin Bacon sees this, you know, this tough iron man crying next to a blaring uh you know football broadcast, he just like slinks out, you know, he's so like overcome by that moment you know i think it's like
0: northwestern on the tv too it's college football and they're like saying wildcats so i'm just going to assume you know
2: but anyway so kevin then you know as he's failed as a stockbroker he decides to shave his pathetic little mustache and then uh, return to the world of cycling and so here the film then also is developing a thread with voodoo played by larry fishburne and we get this sense, at least I did while watching it, that this was going to be a film about the two of them, because initially they're they're sort of at odds when they meet, and Kevin sort of has to prove himself at Quicksilver, and they they have this big race. And yes, yeah, so then to me, this is the most confusing element of the film: is they kill Larry Fishburne off really early, and we can talk about how that happens, but it's. I was completely shocked. I, I was so certain that this whole film, you know, as you had said, where you it sort of has these expectations built into it because of the way the narrative is developing. Uh, that I was like, okay, this is going to be the two of them kind of butting heads throughout, and they're gonna, you know, whatever ends up being the overall thing that they have to work out together, they will. They'll team up, you know, because these guys that they ride, they're free. There's there's nothing in their way, as you know, the the banging music says early on over one of the initial. Uh, cycling scenes but you know they completely give up on the fact that larry clearly has star power uh they didn't seem to trust him with that even that early on even though it's clear that he is bringing it and they kill him and at at that point i just couldn't wrap my head around like well what else could there be here
3: well you
0: know what it (laughs) is to me like this movie went exactly the way i didn't want to go And that's to being this, like, Reagan-era, pro-Reagan-era kind (laughs) of thing, right? And to me, when all the sort of interpersonal stuff is introduced, it very quickly, I'm like, okay, okay, now this movie's, like, about the American dream. I can jive with this, right? Because as we meet these, these cyclists, we get... Hector, played by Paul Rodriguez, and he is, of course, the striver. He wants to uh, earn enough money to get a hot dog stand so he can pull himself up by his bootstraps. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Voodoo, Fishburn, and he is. Making actually quite a bit of money as a messenger because, as they say, he'll deliver anything, oh, yeah, right. So he's like delivering drugs along with, you know, his messages. Uh, and he represents this more cynical, kind of like, you know, the 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 twin or opposite of of like the the you know, Hector, where it's like, well, it's a corrupt world, you know, like that's sort of his position. And I'm thinking like, all right. And then there's Kevin Bacon, who, you know, is this one time big shot capitalist. Now he's in like nihilist mode being like living this humble bicycle life because I just can't take all the stress from my, (laughs) you know, my rich job or whatever. And I'm like, all right, we got this triangle and everyone's got these different sort of, you know, views. And then they Kill Voodoo, and I'm like that. You know, that's so typical. Yeah, he's just he's he's, uh, following a, a again
1: this sort of moment, this like you know this moment of rivalry, and that they they you know Voodoo and Jack start just racing down the streets, and it's it's this moment too where you kind of see them becoming comrades yeah. you know, through this sort of mutual respect for their talents, you know, that voodoo in this, during this chase is even like, all right, this guy's for real. He isn't just some, some pretty boy rich guy. And again, like you're saying, you see this thread that's really starting to develop. And then that chase sequence just climaxes with, with gypsy, this hustler he mentioned, just smashing voodoo with his car. <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, oh, he's just, he's going to be hurt. And then it's going to be also <laughs> about this. And then you just see a pool of blood <laughs> like coming from his head. And it's like, Oh, he's fucking dead. <laughs> it's like 25 minutes into the movie.
2: Yeah, and it was probably another 25 minutes after that is only when I was truly convinced that he was dead because I just couldn't believe it at all, <laughs> even though they explicitly say it, right? So yeah. we see him in a pool of blood, and I'm like, oh, he," you know, that's going to be a pretty brutal injury, but I mean he's going to bounce back from it. It's Larry Fishburne, and he is clearly the most appealing part of this movie. They're not going to just give up on that. Then in the next scene, you know, they bring up a funeral, and I looked over to Molly, and I said, did I say funeral? And she's like, I think so. I'm like, is he dead? He's fucking dead. we're like, I don't know, and I was like certain. I'm like maybe I'm just missing something. He'll he'll be back, and then yeah, no, he was just dead. No, it's <laughs> the
0: final victory of neoliberal capitalism. You know, <laughs> yeah. like he's just dead, yeah. and now all that's left to do in this movie is for Kevin Bacon to or, or like take his friend's money and put it in the stock yeah. market. Yeah. Um, well, first,
1: you know, <laughs> even before that. You know, Hector Hector comes to him, uh, you know, for advice, you know, because there's stories about Jack. People know, like, didn't you, you know, is that the, the story? You used to be some rich finance bro, whatever. And it's like, yeah. And that's when Hector goes to him, hey, you know anything about collateral? Yeah. <laughs> and they have this, like, this again, like, weird Reagan-era, like, oversimplification of, like, the process for getting a loan and, like, what that means and people sort of chiming in on it because, yes, Hector, he's trying to secure a loan to, to get started and that's his whole thing. He doesn't understand collateral. And he goes, what do you mean? I, I need money to borrow money. And they have this, like, moment of just being like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? What, I'm, I, I need $7,000, so you're telling me you won't give me $7,000 unless I have $7,000? But if I had $7,000, I wouldn't need to borrow $7,000, right? And it's this moment where you're just like, hell yeah, this critique of capital, like, I right, that's what this movie's about, right? Because he leaves. But then, no, Kevin Bacon is basically like, that's how it works, man. Let me help you with your loan application.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and it's like It's, it's like...
2: so weird. Yeah, cuz then it's like it's like a source of comedy later. I like that was when I realized that this film like totally had its heart in the wrong place and I was just like feeling so icky while I was watching it. Yeah. Cuz this is much later in the film, but when that ca- when Hector does show up you know getting ready to present his loan application he shows up in like a bright blue you know like baby blue tuxedo with yeah. like kind of the you know the ruffled shirt underneath and the, the film seems to position that as like an extremely foolish act and when kevin bacon is like you can't i told you to wear a suit and not a tuxedo it was like to say, I feel like the expectation there was that we were all like, oh yeah, Kevin, can you believe this guy? Right, and I'm like, no, fuck you, Kevin. And I mean, this might be a bit of a reach, but I wonder if Mel and Mahmabaf Saw Quicksilver because honestly, at times the cyclist felt like a response film.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Stop yourself! I mean, you're gonna yeah, put yeah. you in the penalty
2: box. Yeah, mm-hmm. come <laughs> on, dude. You're you're very close.
1: That's just a a, a yellow card you got right. Yeah. There, you know? Um. No, but I mean, yeah. It, it is something that like part of the reason why I was like intrigued to even like take a look at this film that I'd never seen before was just like knowing that setup, this idea of like, all right, here we are, eighty six. You know middle of Reagan's America, and it's like, oh, finance, like, bros, and, like, the simple life, and and it was gonna, you know, again, on a certain level be this kind of very, also, like, neoliberal kind of, like, hey, money, right? It ain't everything. But in a weird way, then this film like comes around full circle where it is like, no, it's all about money and right. it's good to have money and it helps to have money uh, and it helps to have friends who uh, know the stonks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's what it becomes. Like, It becomes a, not a rejection, but like... Uh, a warm a, embrace. A, a warm <laughs> embrace, yeah. Or like, yeah, once again, like an affirmation of it, you know? Because you're right. Like in these moments where we're supposed to to be like yeah finance is ridiculous stock markets are ridiculous like no the movie again totally shifts its focus and then it becomes a sort of sports movie but a sports movie about the fucking stock market right right i mean like all like you said all these expectations of what this movie is they just keep getting dashed where it suddenly totally shifts gears no pun intended uh where it, <laughs> it's like now it's a movie about the fucking stock market now it's a movie about about organized crime. Like now it's a movie about like...
0: And oh, not the intersection of those things. Because again, right. when they set up Voodoo, I, I'm thinking, all right, on the one hand, you have Wall Street. They're crooks. On the other hand, you have organized crime. They're crooks. But like, that's not what the film does. You know, no. That's like not what's developed, right? And again, it's like, it is trying to have it have its cake and, and eat it too, or whatever, whatever the phrase is, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Because... Even the fact that it's like Jack, Kevin Bacon is like, oh, this, you know, cycling makes me free, man. And then the rest of the film is portraying all these characters trying to escape from the life of being bike messengers. Which instead of going like, yeah, maybe they should just get paid more or whatever, you know, (laughs) like capitalism, how does it work? You know, right? Uh, it just is like... No, it's something to escape from. And I'm like, wait, I thought it was liberatory. Like, what is going on here?
1: Right, because even then, right, okay, like, if you're constructing your movie around this premise, then the whole movie needs to be just this, like, gritty exploration of how, like... These guys are dying on bikes, you know, like there are lines where it's like, there's no future on a bike, stuff like that, you know, and then it would be this gritty like, yeah, look at these people. They're killing themselves out here, going through traffic, trying to just like deliver fucking like, you know, money orders and shit like that to, to, to finance firms. But no, it's not even that. Again, all the bike stuff. It's like this kind of cartoonish yeah like you know it's like sesame street where they're on this back lot and they're just doing bike tricks and then and then the guy who runs quicksilver like the the gritty he's like a like a a taxi cab dispatcher. He's like this old fucker, but he's just wearing like a little (laughs) cyclist cap and and fingerless (laughs) gloves. But otherwise he's just like the typical like cabbie guy. He's like, all right, you lug's back to work, you know? And it's like, (laughs) look at how much fun they have. But then it's like, okay, it's it, it seems like it's fun, but now everybody just wants out, okay? Like, but you didn't establish why everybody should want out. It seems so much better. It's like, it's so... It's so confused in in its in its own identity in its own statement, you know, and and that's where like the movie really just starts to unravel very quickly, and then present like a series of climaxes for all these different subplots, none of which they really spend any time making you give a shit about. Like even his triumphant return back to the stock market is just like. It's so deranged. Well, you know, it's like,
0: it's one of those movies that ultimately just, there's no, I mean, there's no, like, first of all, there's no stakes, but there's also no obstacles. Right. Because at the end of the day, we're following, like, a guy who just at any time he wants... Could like buy back into the stock market because he has extremely rich friends and investors yeah. that he used to work with, and there's a, even a point in the film where he meets with his old partner or his old you know friend, uh, and his friend's like, "Now's the time. I got a great deal brewing like just come back we'll be we'll we'll be rich and and Kevin Bacon refuses. Yeah. Because he's still like soul searching. But that establishes that, like, all he has to do is at any point just say yes. Uh, and he's back. And you're like, this is just like Argo when they had to just go through like the airport security, <laughs> you know, and you're
1: just like,
3: <laughs> OK, yeah. like.
1: I mean, it's like Pulp saying in Common People, you know, like he's like the epitome of that character, like anytime Chuan- you want really- Anytime you want, like this, you're just slumming it. I mean, this movie is like a total affirmation of that like amazing fucking song by Paul because he is this guy that's just like slumming it. Yeah. And and it's like you said, it's initially set up to be like, look at him. He's taking this like this like vow of chastity and poverty and like look at how much he's grown by this. But it's like he's got this like smirk on his face the whole time. He he sort of like looks at all these other guys like Hector in this really kind of like pandering way like uh you dumb dumb you can't wear a powder blue tuxedo to you of course you're not gonna get a loan, you moron like and then yes what does he do He's just finally like all right sure i'll help okay give me some money i'll go to the stock market and i'll make you fifty thousand dollars or whatever you know like it's nothing <laughs> yeah and he does and he waltzes in and again like why it's like it is such a it is such, like, an in- insane, like, capitalist fantasy film because it's it's presented as the easiest thing in the world for this guy to just waltz into to the fucking, like, the stock exchange. Oh,
0: don't forget, though, there's a bunch of montages of him looking over, like, newspapers. Because it's, like, even set up, he's just like, I've been seeing a trend in the market.
3: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: love it. And again, it's, like, it's so corny because, like, he's just, like, buy high-tech IBM, you know? <laughs> 86 right or whatever you know like wow how forward thinking of you you know but yeah that is like there's we get we we traded like these amazing like acrobatic bike montages for like stonks montage and again to make it even that much more of an insult what is meant to be this like really like charming moment after he makes like all this money he just like he gives it to his parents and he gives it to hector and he's like Nah, man, y'all take it. Like, again, right, to your point, where it's like, yeah, because tomorrow he can just waltz right back in and make another 60 Gs or whatever. Like, it's such an insult to Hector, to his family, for him to just Mm -hmm. kind of be like, yeah, this is meaningless to me. Yeah, here's thirty eight thousand dollars. No big deal. See you later. Like I'm gonna go bang my ballerina girlfriend or whatever in my
0: in my loft <laughs> warehouse. I have
1: a whole floor of an old like Ovaltine factory.
0: Yeah, there's yeah. a very <laughs> revealing moment when uh, you know. So he takes Hector's money to invest, and as he sees you know the trends in the market, he goes back to his stock friend, and is like, I need I need some money. I need to buy back in, and they have this back and forth. And then when his friend is like, well, how much do you need? He says, $15,000. And his friend just laughs and goes, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. $15,000. I thought you were serious. Yeah. yeah. You know? And they're, yes, these guys are just like ridiculing $15,000, right? And I think, again, talk about revealing, too. Like, the movie truly, truly lost me. Like, I don't mind, you know... the way it depicts the stock market in those scenes, like you said, Andy, it's like sports. It's like such an abstraction that I think it does like accidentally like ridicule the whole process because it's so, there's no details. There's no specifics, just buy, sell, number, go up. Oh, yeah. make yeah, me. I'm all me rich now, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so ridiculous. But then the film sinks even lower. And the next scene Jack goes to pay off Hector, give him the money for his hot dog stand, and they're in the hospital, and as he's handing him over cash, his baby is born. And I'm just like, oh my god, this movie is associating like the birth of a child and a stock market win and unifying them in this scene and being like... This is it. This could be, you know, and you're just like, what is going on in this movie, man?
1: Now you can have the baby.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Now that you have financial security. Right, yeah, yeah, for
1: a fucking hot dog cart, you know, for Hector's hot dogs. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, yeah, then for him to just, like, coolly just walk out, like, not even ask about the, well, I think he, like, offhandedly is like, boy, or girl, whatever, and he's like, boy, and then he's like, Cool. And then he just like waltzes out, you know. <laughs> don't let really me see it. You know, we don't even see the mom, you know, like the real drama is like Hector being like, How'd we do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's just this like crazy he's he's so many different things depending on the moment and who he's talking to. Like he's just this like he's like an insane person. <laughs> like the way he just moves around with like no consequences whatsoever. And and you know, like, doesn't really ever seem to actually fucking, like, learn anything.
2: I mean, at times he even comes across as a sociopath. A-
1: absolutely, he's like American Psycho.
2: Yeah, and I think you could really probably take the footage that exists and recut it into, a, like, a much stronger film um, with that being your focus, because essentially everything you need is there within the film. The scene that really stuck out to me of, of him being a sociopath is when the, uh, sort of down on her luck biker that also works at Quicksilver, um, uh, her name is escaping Terry. me, Terry, when Terry comes to his loft to just be like, listen, like I got kicked out of my apartment. Like I got a couple bags. Like, is it all right if I stay, you know, just like, just for the night, I'll sit in the corner. You won't even have to worry about me. I won't make any noise. Like I'll be gone before you wake up. And he just kind of sulks and stares at her and, like, looks at the ceiling, kind of kicking his feet around. And it's like, dude, your place is huge. Like, what is your deal? And I, you know, I mean, maybe there was something I missed, but like, all the events preceding that. Didn't really give me the sense that they were like uh, extremely at odds with each other to that point where he would be so callous.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's because he lives with his girlfriend. I think that's like. Yeah, because she was mad earlier about the fact that, you know, Terry was in their apartment when she came home.
2: But again, it's a misplaced frustration. Yeah,
0: it doesn't sell it like that.
1: Right. And I agree, Ryan, because like she does say like you know she like like a filthy red you know she says like and you know i i saw how much space you have yeah. here i could just sit in the corner like
3: you know yeah. like
1: she points that out like You're one man. And even if you are in here with your teeny tiny ballerina girlfriend, like you have the entire floor. It's huge.
2: Of of, a fucking like warehouse.
0: Yeah. This is his hard scrabble living in a massive
2: wall. Right. I mean, what she says is like objectively true. She could hide in a corner and you would never see her. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And he is like mulling it over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and again, he doesn't like, uh, he just kind of lets her in. I don't even think he says anything. uh, And he sulks, and he's, like, dragging his feet across the loft, and he gets to his his workstation, and he puts on these, like, absurd little, like, workman's glasses as he's, like, tending to his documents. The Wall Street
0: Journal glasses. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And again, you know, he never gave her any clarification about how she was supposed to conduct herself uh, in his, you know, (laughs) private space, you know. So, like, so she just kind of wanders around and she's just trying to be, like, polite and kind of nice, and at one point she accidentally, like, nudges the stereo and, like, the music is blaring, right, and it like it it upsets him, and he's like, you know, taken aback, and you know, he's clearly like perturbed by this gesture, and and you know, she she's clearly apologetic, and and it was in in moments like that where I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, dude, like fuck you, that's your music, you had it set at that volume, clearly not that, or I guess I suppose his girlfriend could have as well, but it's like whatever, man, this is your space, like you know, she she just happens to be here, like you got to. Take a chill pill. Dude,
0: that's a huge, expensive sound system, too.
1: Oh, yeah. But, like, man, I I had no idea, like, the depths of this film's uh, unintentional indictment of the me generation of the 80s. Like, he is, like, the poster fucking child for all that is, like, worst about that decade. He doesn't originally come from fucking money. Like, it's established that his parents are, like blue collar his dad's like a fucking mechanic and his dad like has that confrontation with him where his dad even is like what are you doing (laughs) like (laughs) you know i busted my ass for you to fucking go to college and you know you had a bad beat you know and kevin bacon has that confrontation with him where he's just like god damn it dad i told you i lost your life savings and all you did was offer me a Fucking sandwich. And I was sitting there being like, I wanna slap him in the fucking mouth. Like, and yet we're supposed to empathize with Kevin Bacon we're supposed to be like that's right dad because this movie is for yuppies this yeah. is a movie for yuppies and that's why all the other bike messengers are these colorful marginalized people and it's like man isn't it? Isn't it great to live in the city and like get all that culture it's like such a yuppie thing yeah. right to be like yeah I live in the city and I, I, I'm not gonna move to the suburbs or whatever like I like the culture I like the grid of the city but it's like no dude you live in a fucking like palace above everyone alone isolated he keeps them at this like weird pandering distance like the relationship with Hector like Hector's an awesome dude and like the best part of the movie to me like the heart of the movie they have a is, great
0: backyard barbecue scene. Yeah, yeah dude an
1: amazing scene and where is Kevin Bacon yeah. at the at the barbecue he's um, sitting yeah, alone on the
2: porch thinking about finance <laughs> He really is. I'm so glad that we're talking this out because I was at first just confused because I hate Kevin Bacon. Uh, I like cannot stand his screen presence. I think he's a terrible performer. I don't think I like him and. In- Anything I've seen. Oh wow! Shots in. fired. Um, and <laughs> right. I, and while I was watching, and I couldn't tell, I'm like, okay, well, hold on. Like, am I just projecting my like total disdain for this guy on screen? You know, is this, this is this just me? Am I bringing too much into this? But no, I mean, by the end, I was like, there's this, this, there's something deeply off in at the heart of this film, and specifically his character. Well,
1: you know, Ryan, uh, you know. Uh, maybe a bit of cosmic irony here for you, you know, Don't forget that he himself eventually did uh, lose a huge chunk of his life savings. In, in wild Bernie Madoff's yeah. Ponzi scheme, so in a, in a sense, in a weird way, like kind of quicksilver, uh, it, it it came back around on him, and he got <laughs> he got his just desserts. But
0: I do, you know, in general, Ryan, I think I think Kevin Bacon's screen persona is generally like unlikable, and I think that can be used in good ways like in the river wild or in hollow man where he's yeah he's kind of like an asshole uh i like him in those roles you know
1: maybe it was cute in footloose but um you know in a film like quicksilver it's especially it's especially like yeah you know it's like fucking patrick bateman on a bike and then they really (laughs) did clearly you know the the writer director uh thomas michael donnelly who you know has basically like no other real directing credits to his name uh, just fucking blew it so hard. I mean, this was a commercial and critical uh flop big time. Uh And I think after watching it, for me anyway, like I fully understand why. Because everything that we've just laid out even is not like the climax of the film. Like this huge stock exchange moment you think is like, that's it, okay? And then he's going to, at least it would be more honest if from that moment on he was also then like, yeah, you know, maybe I should get back to the stocks, but I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be a trader with a conscience or whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trade for the little guy or whatever. But it doesn't, it doesn't even end there. Then there's like two more climaxes that follow where we come back to the character of Gypsy and this this hustler who had killed Larry Fishburne's character in the beginning. He's now got his his hooks into Terry and he's, he's trying to, to get her now to deliver, you know, drugs or guns or whatever he, he fucking deals. It's never quite clear. And then, you know, Kevin Bacon, again, sort of seemingly reluctantly gets involved in kind of helping Terry with this guy. And really the most heroic people, again, in the whole scenario were the other bike messengers. Yes. Because when Gypsy is, like, beating the shit out of Terry at a diner, like, the bike messengers show up. and save her life. Right, they save her life. And I was like, oh, these guys are going to just destroy this guy Gypsy. And that's what I was like, again, like then that would be a perfect way to end this. Like just the bike messenger's like beating this guy like to death or whatever in an alley. And they'd be like, nobody saw anything, but yeah. no, <laughs> the bike messenger guys even kind of like blow it. And like, he shoots one of them in the face and he, he kind of gets off and then, and then it's up to Kevin Bacon to to sort of reluctantly, I you know, in that same kind of like air, you know, air of entitlement, be like, "All right, Terry, I'll bail you out of this one too. I I bailed out Hector in his little <laughs> hot go- hot dog cart and my folks whose savings I blew, and now I guess now I guess I'm gonna save you too. Like yeah. it's just
0: this like." <laughs> Oh, man. Although, again, you know, uh, the chase is fun. Uh, Yeah. I I didn't mind the chase at all. Like, there's this... Anytime
2: the film was, like, literally fast when things were, like, happening very quickly and things were moving, I did enjoy looking at it. The movie, like
1: looks great like a lot of the cinematography i thought was like very nice like and there were these really cool like in again a lot of the city scenes you know these really cool like telephoto shots of like cars and traffic but like city buses in the immediate foreground just throwing like flashes of color across the screen you know in this very like kind of kurosawa uh, a way where like sure movement just becomes like abstract at a moment just blurs and and shadows of light moving across yeah
2: i love the shot where it's like it alternates between blue bacon and red bacon when he's like sitting by his window and the neon outside Mm. keeps shifting and like that's the only thing lighting him up yeah i in general the neon really pops in this film Uh, It's like extremely vibrant neon in a way that doesn't feel like typical 80s neon sheen, right? Yeah. There was something specific about this that I think stood out in the sense that I do think that the visual style of the film was surprisingly controlled in a way that I don't think the narrative was. Oh yeah, I mean, some of
1: the like, especially the really obvious like backlot stuff of like, mm-hmm. you know, the bike messenger's hood, like the muddled construction of this film. Like, is it meant to be a sort of like, you know, facsimile of a bike world, or is it meant to be like a gritty realistic take on the bike world? Like, it, like you said, Marsh, you put it, I think, the best when you said like, this is a film that's trying to have its cake and eat its too, and it just seems like there's a lot of people involved in their own ways, trying to work really hard, but no one really knows
2: to what end there Yeah, it's their funny, way. I think like in our kind of picking a part of this thing, we have discovered that there were two very interesting films buried inside of this that they were completely, unaware you know, existed and that weren't able to develop further. I mean, at, One at least of which two, maybe more. At least <laughs> two. Know? I mean, the two that come up to in my mind are the, the American Psycho on a Bike version, where it is like about Kevin Bacon as a sociopath, like just cruelly making his way through Reagan's America, and then the alternate version would be this Like really colorful and interesting look at bike culture with Larry Fishburne as the central protagonist because he is the most... Shot
0: by Tak Fujimoto.
1: But yeah, and then again, you know, to really just like cap it all off, the real slap in the fucking face after all this at the very end. (laughs) It's like we go through all that shit, right? And... What is Kevin Bacon leaving us with? Like, he goes and gets a hot dog at Hector's hot dog stand and then is talking about all the job interviews he just went on, you know? Yeah. And arguing with with Terry, who's seemingly his new girlfriend, about, you know, uh, whether they should get pizza or Chinese later or something <laughs> like that. But again, it's like, oh, so you didn't even just settle on being a bike guy, right? You are going back to, yes. to a, a much better... Uh, a more financially lucrative existence, so it's all meaningless. <laughs> you know, this, whole, this whole journey that you yeah. took us on is bullshit, you know? Like- well,
0: as they say in The Cyclist, uh, you have to choose two paths in life, stealing and crime, or honest living to survive, yeah. and he he chooses stealing and crime on on he Wall, he certainly on, does, on, yeah, on the San Francisco <laughs> Wall Street, yeah,
1: and and again you like you put it you put it so well, Marsh, when you like introduced all this and talking about like these are like two films really about capital, and and they have like two completely different takes. Like one is yes, as we've been discussing, this just like this this weird um, like. Uh, this weird Reagan era film that's lacking any fucking self-awareness and, and presents like uh, upward mobility as merely a question of like effort, will, and the right wardrobe. Whereas the cyclist (laughs) is, is like to me just like one of, I will say uh, the more like powerful satires I've seen of like the hopelessness of, of
2: trying to, to claw out of our our stations in life you know truly just like that idea that well if you stick with it if you you know if you don't give up and if you really set your sights on it like any of you can accomplish anything that's the society we live in and here's a film where someone is committing themselves to that act as (laughs) beyond the capabilities of the human body (laughs) just being like all right well if if that's what you say i have to do then this is how i'm going to accomplishment through sheer force of will and no <laughs> you know even that won't work and it's true there is like it's a completely quicksilver is like totally unselfaware of its neoliberal hellscape that it's presenting and the cyclist is very actively trying to poke fun and figure out what the hell is even going on in this neoliberal hellscape that we all live in. Yeah, Yeah. and of course, as well, formally,
0: it's quite a different experience as well, because uh, I'll just quote Rosenbaum. It has a hypnotic and feverish style and it is a very expressive film and we get that right away as the film opens we are introduced to the motorcycle riding man who is a friend of the main character and also uh, an immigrant from Afghanistan and we are treated to a like circus-like act that he does on his motorcycle where he drives around this like bowl
2: Yeah, it is a really incredible opening image because it's we have darkness on the frame and then he opens a window out towards us and there's like a burst of light behind him and it's if he's cro- he's like climbing into the movie by moving through the window in order to like then get on that motorcycle. Um and it and to me right away I was like, "Oh, great, here we go." Like this yeah, I I do particularly like the films I've seen of Moshe Mamulbof. Uh he's very playful in the, you know, Kirastami is a very playful filmmaker too. And I think they're both interested in very similar, you know, meta gags within their films, but there's a distinct, different quality to both of their works um, and I think that there's a bit more of an eccentric playfulness in some of makhmobov's films and is very, is like on display throughout this film very much so because even following that even having a character literally climbing into the, the screen I mean I imagine seeing that in a theater right, like that, that opening image but then he does, he's doing his stunt on the motorcycle in that bowl and the camera ends up in simply any place you could possibly imagine We've got it underneath looking up at the sky, really chaotic as it's following the, the man as he's spinning around. We have the, the camera attached to both sides of the motorcycle, getting the front and back view on the, the, the crowd looking from up above. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just like it's everything all at once. And then that quickly
0: is, like, intercut with these, like, hospital scenes that recur throughout the film, which are just straight up, like, yeah, like, uh, shafts of light being shot through mm-hmm. the space as his wife, very sick. Like, this is like a bubble boy situation, essentially, where, yeah, yeah, at a certain point, they just, like, you know, lock her up in the plastic wrap because, like, she's she's dying, and it's so extreme, but done in this like extremely funny and dry uh, sort of sense of humor that emerges immediately because like the doctors and the whole hospital setup—it's like it's like not a real space, right? It's like this dream space, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah.
2: And it's hard to tell specifically if it was the copy we had, but the you know, the colors are so unnaturally vibrant that I think it contributes to that surreal dream aura to all of these spaces. Everything is so heightened. Yeah. And again, this could have just been the error of like a bit of an odd transfer, but at at the very least those colors are like present. Well, and at the very
0: least they're sets as opposed to like the rest of the film, which is shot, you know, on location. So there is a contrast right between when he He's riding the bicycle and then cutting back to this wherever hospital. But the doctors are are very callous and very cruel. And it's all this like satire about how much it costs to get like medical. And immediately it's like super intense. It's very funny and strange. And then... We get this incredible shot where he's, like, haggling with the uh, this recurring character who's, like, the hospital cashier. And there's a shot that's, like, from behind the counter... And you see the cashier in the lower left-hand part of the frame. And there's just, like, a little carved-out little window in the middle where you can see uh, mm-hmm. Nassim. And then in the deep background, his wife is on a gurney, like, writhing with a bunch of nurses. And it's just, like, showing you in one single shot in depth, like, this is about money, this is about health care. And then in the middle, we have Nassim, the cyclist, and the man who is trapped in this you know this image alone like trying to pay for medical bills right? this
1: this like um this existential vice between like economic uh, <laughs> economic suffering and physical suffering
2: yeah i mean to the point it's so extreme right both in terms of the situation obviously the situation he's in but then also the way that it's composed for us because as you're talking about where there's this extreme sense of depth but at the same time we're getting cameras shoved directly in people's faces we have crazy split diopter shots that are like compressing space while expanding it at the same time and it is quite carnivalesque in a Way, uh, especially that initial sequence, and I mean, I guess you could throughout the film the camera does remain like extremely mobile, yeah. um, both in terms of like handheld footage and also some crazy rigs. I mean, particularly, I mean, we're treated to it in the final image to show like how Makhamabov himself pulled off the the way he was filming the never ending seven days circle of you know the bike. You know, we eventually. Uh, it, common in his playful style we kind of like zoom out a bit more and we can actually see you know the pieces how it was all put together but yeah that that sense of the uh, the carnival quality of this world is is present throughout and and that desperation then comes through uh very soon after that in a really darkly comic series of near suicides mm-hmm in the film where in like the chaos of all of these people riding around on like sort of a plateau on their horses and then all these well like- they're
1: playing uh they're playing the the national game of Afghanistan they're playing buskashi they're playing the right. the the goat pulling game i think is the <laughs> sort of way you describe mm-hmm. it and yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like cross cutting between this like this, this high drama, sort of like very violent uh, game of tug of war over like an animal's carcass. Uh, and then, yes, this like weird carnival of uh, of other kind of like uh, feats of 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 death defying and daredevilry, if you will, which, yes, has embedded within it like this other really, really weird kind of desperate act of, I guess, like guess death defying where a guy just lays down underneath one of those colorful buses and is like, is this guy? Getting, he's just trying to get crushed to death or whatever. But then it's revealed that. No, it's all kind of a scheme. It's sort of like this money-making scheme, you know, where you go and you lay mm-hmm. under the wheels and this guy's, like, you know, gets paid off. Like, take the money. Don't just, like, lay under the wheels of this <laughs> truck. and like, get out of here. <laughs> and so, yeah, Nassim <laughs> seeing that kind of, like, well, hey, maybe that's one way I can pay for my fucking wife and he tries it (laughs) and for his troubles just gets his ass kicked you know which again is being cross-cut in this like eisensteinian montage between the game of buskashi this like violent game and these men struggling to to you know to claim ownership over the goats or whatever in in this in this like violent collision of horses and then this guy being like trampled and stampeded by people uh, while he's trying merely to to sort of win the
2: game of, of,
1: of like life or whatever,
2: life and death. Yeah, you know? and then even similar to that when so it's also amongst all of this cross cutting with his wife in the hospital and then also his work as a, a ditch digger as he's deep down in the well um, in a sequence of shots quite, I mean I guess you can only shoot a well in a, in a certain way but it's quite similar <laughs> to the way it It looks and there will be blood was something that like kept coming uh, to my mind with that. Um, Maybe it's just because his boy was there. But even then, right, like when at one point he's down there digging and they have this like big pulley system, the boy who's helping him out, like he kind of he gets tugged and he can't hold his own footing. And it's almost like a fun house trap of terror of some sort right and he gets pulled and he falls into the well with him and as does the camera it's yeah it's mass chaos for the first like 20 minutes of this film of just this like desperate world that he has uh found himself living in. i I feel like it's kind of mass chaos throughout (laughs) i mean like
1: the the even once he like does get on the bike like it's like it just becomes more and more chaotic. It's like, you know, Fellini where the rings of the circus just keep getting bigger and more elaborate and more clowns start sort of like, you know, fumbling around also like in this big, in this big, yeah, carnival
2: of, of uh, like, just trying to make it, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Tons of clowns in this movie, yeah.
0: Yeah, it also reminded me uh, of a film like Fireman's Ball, like the Milos Forman film, where you have this, uh, like, sure. this microcosm this, that's just, like, a series of escalating, like, satire, you know? Like, and I loved how, yeah, like once the the the, the riding sort of establishes itself like 20 minutes into the movie it is just this traveling circus uh, and the way that the film grows is so interesting because like very often it's not telling you it's just showing you that like all of a sudden this thing is growing it's living it's becoming more elaborate more people are becoming involved more interests are at hand the government's
1: uh, getting involved yeah and,
0: and, and it just like it just like spirals uh in an, in a really interesting way and it it all starts too because eventually you know he's he's going around he's trying to find anything he can do for work because there's also in the opening a scene where he goes to a guy for help to get work uh, and then is abandoned there as the Iranian police raid uh, the house that everyone is in. Uh, so there's even this, yes, like the danger of being an immigrant. They even established that Nasim helped smuggle over the motorcycle rider when he came over mm-hmm. as an immigrant. So there's this solidarity between them and their and their friends because of that. But yeah, it's a really desperate sort of world and, and uh, one that's overflowing, right? We get these kind of like neorealist shots of the streets where like him and his son are just wandering through an extremely colorful and busy frame. And then we're introduced to the showman, the mustache man i didn't catch his name if it was ever even said. i didn't catch
2: a lot of names in this yeah but mustache man is a good way to just yeah, refer to. yeah i him. was just
0: calling like in my mind i was calling him the showman because he's this guy yeah. that they go to as a sort of last ditch effort to be like is there anything you can do to help us and this guy's like a like a circus impresario in his past life and ringleader yeah and he's done all these crazy schemes throughout his life to make money and he's like I think I, can, I think I can sell this. You're telling me this guy can ride a bike for a long time? Like, I think we got something going here.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but I also believe it's in this scene where this is going on that there's a TV on in the background that's playing a Farsi-dubbed version of... They shoot horses, don't they? Yes. You picked up
0: on that, yeah. Yeah, that's, I was, yeah, I was, like, so confused at what was going on with that, but that's (laughs) amazing. And, again, tipping, uh, I think, Mokmoboff tipping his hand and hat to a similar film about desperation and money. Yeah. And then, yeah, so, like, the, the showman, mustache man, goes to find an even richer backer as the levels of class are, like, laid out clearly in this film as this film ultimately will be yes showing us (laughs) all these different you know government institutions and levels of class throughout the film they go to an even richer guy to get backing for for this scheme where they're going to create this betting market for uh his seven day bicycle ride and this is amazing too because you know we're in Nassim's world right and that's a world of poverty and then all of a sudden we're at a Yamaha motor cross and these guys (laughs) are just like flying and uh it's amazing uh and of course you know he goes to this like rich uh again i don't know what this guy does he's just some like shady rich guy to ask him to back the scheme and he's like i think uh, i think i can work with this Mm -hmm. you know yeah
1: yeah i i i mean i i loved it because you know from the get-go i think like in most you know great satires for me like great satires is, is where you should as a sane like rational logical human being encountering satire like from the from the get go like from the beginning be able to look at whatever is 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 unfolding and about to unfold and go this can't possibly end well for anybody like this seems like a horrible idea you know that's like to me great satire is like when you're you're meant to pick up on it from the beginning that like no this is not the solution like this is not the good solution like any modest proposal right like it's sort of like your radar should be up right away and yeah and it is in this you know yeah whether it's the fact that maybe mustachio man is 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 watching they shoot horses don't they while he comes up with this idea or yeah these guys at the motocross race who are like on microphones screaming at all of their riders you know as if the riders can hear their their criticisms you know (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, it's like, oh, what could possibly what could possibly go wrong with the idea of a guy just like riding a bike uh, as long as he possibly physically can in a fucking circle?
2: Right. There's something about that fantasy and dream quality to it, too, with that dream of, you know, can he do this for seven days that I think comes across really beautifully in a shot. Where we see the wife in bed, and the camera pans up to the window that she's looking out of. And very briefly, through like the shutters, we see uh, Nassim riding a bicycle, seemingly in clouds yeah. yeah, like an angel on a bike. Right. He's like in the heavens. Uh, and we move back to her, and you know, she adjusts and looks closer, and then he's gone by the time the camera pans back up to, to that same window. And yeah, there is something about the satire there that I agree. It's like it's clear that you know this this can't end well for anybody there's so many moving pieces and yet there is like that heart is still there of you know this is the, we can only dream for this too because we have no other option in the, the the system we have set up in front of us
0: i just want to point out to my most important note of the films uh the the lead actor of this film looking like an afghan sean connery
2: oh yeah i agree yeah, yeah.
0: he's got a very like strong face you know and i i for a second, I thought, is that 007?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Bond> would... <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Bond had, like, a bright red beard, he would kind of look like this. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, God. Okay,
0: I also want to say, like, shout out to this film for making me think when it ended. Like, no offense to anyone else who worked on the film, but there's a clear MVP here, and that's the Dolly Grip. Because half of this movie is a, a like a dolly crane going around in a 360 degree circle, and that's a consistent, obvious visual uh, element because he's riding around in a circle, he's really not occupying a lot of space on this seven day journey, no, uh, as he rides a pretty tight circle and often. Through crowds, and through chaos, and through... Bricks, uh, (laughs) debris. (laughs) Through bricks, tacks, debris, and all kinds of other obstacles uh, that sort of crop up. But, like, it's worth pointing out, this movie, you're spinning half the time, if not more. Mm -hmm. And that is its own sort of, like, feeling as a viewer. And it's just handled so well. Uh, And so comedically, too. Because there's, like, always... there's like all these shots that are like you know medium shots sort of like cut off at his waist as he's riding so like you can't see you know he's not actually riding yeah but what they do with this is like putting the kid on the bike or various other people are like riding his bike throughout the movie
2: and it's like people like hop on to have like discussions (laughs) and conversations with him about things it is really masterfully pulled off because i think in like less skilled hands it would be dizzying in a very frustrating way like it would just become an exhausting viewing experience for the camera to be spinning at the rate that it is in this movie yeah. but it does seem to be it's also kind of a feat of editing too cuz it is like very well balanced and when he does begin this 7 day just like little circle he's doing on his bike his slow circle there's also like a world that's being built in the sequence, in the sense that it's almost like a little town, like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like being built, uh, as as he keeps riding and riding because things keep getting. There's more people that get involved, things get larger, right? You know, at the initially in the film, uh, one of the the guy's like selling food at his bazaar he's just like selling simple dishes and by the end he's selling you know kebab he's he's making big (laughs) meals for everybody because the crowds are getting in and it's like this economy is building throughout the film And and it does go into the practicalities of all of this too we have his son as you mentioned who will climb up on the bike in order to give him food but at the same time this food is sort of being controlled with like vitamin supplements being provided by a team of doctors who are on on standby that are sort of controlling the diet thinking about like okay how can a human being maintain stamina and be riding a bicycle in a circle for seven days straight and then also it of course naturally addresses the practicalities of like how to dispose of waste and how he would be going to Uh the bathroom during these sequences at least very specifically with his urine because he's given like these beakers in order to like dispose of his waste they do they never i can't remember they never really address like how he takes a dump bike, it down. They don't show it, but at
0: one point the uh, the kid says, uh, "Hey, he's got diarrhea." That's true. They
2: didn't mention that. Yeah, imagine having to yeah. ride a bike around for seven days and around four days in getting diarrhea. Oh, that is just sounds like a true. Hell. I would like
0: to be just like fed tea while I'm riding a bike, though. That seems really great. <laughs> like just get a little kid to sit on my handlebars and yeah. hold my yeah. hold my hot tea
1: while, like, <laughs> while I'm riding. But you know, it's funny because you you bring it up, bringing up like the the medical team as well. Like I kept feeling and maybe this was just like my um, I was like misreading it or whatever. But at times, you know, like I was really kind of trying to understand their their role because they almost feel like they're also somewhat taking advantage of him, that there's almost like this kind of. Experimental curiosity that they have, right? That it's oh, sort of like definitely. they're not yeah. necessarily just this kind of like benevolent force that's like we're going to be your medical team and help you, but that they're at times they almost felt like sort of like everyone else, like equally as as intrusive and antagonistic of like what he's trying to accomplish.
0: Well, know? that's what's interesting about that is they're yeah they're like uh, being paid for and provided for by like mm-hmm. the rich businessman. So their role switches based on the betting market because the interests that are like backing this ride sort of change over time. Right. So as like the market changes and explodes, like the the rich businessman all of a sudden is losing money when he thought he was easily going to win money. And then so he has to like switch strategies. And so there is this confusing back and forth where at various times the doctors are trying to like poison him. <laughs> yeah. And other times they're trying to like help him. So it's again, it's like this funny thing where it's like, well, whatever way the wind blows, whichever way the money's going, like they're helping him, they're harming him, they're helping him, and they even confront each other at the end where the woman uh, dopes the other doctor <laughs> right. instead of uh, yeah. Nassim. So uh, again, it's just this like, yeah, they're just serving the the moneyed interests, yeah. and that means. Sometimes they're doing one thing; another time they're doing another. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really was for me, and especially coming after like this, just like (laughs) this, this true American nightmare of of capital and quicksilver. Like this, this really was for me, like one of the more, like, brilliant satires of the physical, like, back-breaking suffering of, like, at at the core of it all, just, like, some poor fucking schlub on on a, you know, on, like, a bike. Yeah. Just, Just as if, like, those circles are actually like the the force that's like generating the power for all of those services and goods and exchanges and speculation and everything that's like happening around him right like he is spinning and and that is like the force that's actually like through his kinetic energy like powering this 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 typhoon to use the the yeah. phrase that they they right. use with him of like, yeah, of of capital, of money, of you know, of <laughs> everyone trying
2: to get theirs and like get one over and I that's a really nice way of framing it because he is sort of this like perpetual motion energy machine. He is himself generating all of this power. And there's a scene that kind of one of the first groups of people that are presented at this like event i guess you could say that bringing people in uh sort of seem to be with the the idea in mind that they can harvest some of his energy that he's (laughs) generating as he's spinning around they bring like a group of like very like elderly people uh in order to like be to see him and think like potentially to be inspired or to truly absorb some of that cosmic (laughs) energy that he is creating on his bicycle and they it's like all these like you know the caretakers at the Wherever these uh, presumably just like a nursing home came from, and they're like, Look at him, look at him go, like, look what you can accomplish. Like, see, you don't have to just like waste away. Like, why, why to absorb some of
3: this? <laughs>
1: چشمامون رو ببندیم و به خودمون تقین کنیم که ما خیلی خوشبختی خیلی ما خیلی امیداری. ما خیلی امیدواریم <Italian> ما
3: خیلی خوشبختی ما خیلی خوشبختی ما خیلی خوشبختی ما
2: خیلی خوشبختی تو زندگی خیلی سخت می‌کشی <ís costumes> Very soon after that one of those spectators that they bring just dies yeah. on the scene. <laughs> and and like, damn, it should
1: also be pointed out that they are charged admission.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're the the business guys, like at a certain point they're like, Alright, we're gonna get like the governor involved, right? And so like then these like shady politicians get involved. And that includes, right, this sort of like this like government supplied masters master of ceremonies that just shows up and he like (laughs) he brings a bunch of like school children with flowers at one point to be inspired (laughs) and then he brings all these old people and he's got like a whole pa and mic system uh and again to your point about the the energy right it's like As he's going, all of a sudden, now people are like setting up lights, and now there's a spotlight. Uh, And again, it's just like it's just like happening in in front of you. Uh, And I also Mm -hmm. want to bring up some of the recurring characters. We also have my favorite guy in the whole movie, the gym coach, aka (laughs) the you know the 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 official scorer, right? Uh, I guess you could call of yeah. this event. And he's like he, a
1: he's like a soccer referee. Yeah
0: he's, yeah, he's the ref, and he's just in like a blue Adidas like jumpsuit. <laughs> Again, amongst obviously like mostly you know people wearing like more traditional kind of Iranian uh, gear, and then there's this guy, just male pattern baldness, a whistle and a stopwatch in a blue Adidas like suit, and he's got his little like table uh with like keys on it and he's hanging out the whole time there's an accordion player who's there uh sort of throughout as the music of this kind of you know roving event and and they, these people just keep being involved in the film like it, it builds this world and then all of a sudden like i was having trouble keeping track because it is so dense like in a, in yes. a good way you know
2: And yeah, and even with amongst all of that, too, all these different forces and figures that are exploiting this event to their own ends for like the market value of all of it. At the same time, there is this implied thread of Afghan immigrant solidarity as they are seeing him as a source of inspiration. And there's even as, um, throughout on multiple days, there's someone who comes by in a truck looking for day laborers, looking specifically for Afghan day laborers, and he offers a rate. And by the end, he's forced to have to raise that rate in order to get them right. to, to work for him. You know, So in a sense, he is generating sort of like that, that class solidarity as well and national solidarity. Absolutely.
0: Uh, there's another like to to that end too again like yeah this this ride is sort of seen by the government as like a a subversive act. And mm-hmm. and one of my favorite sequences is in the film is they're they're forced to move venues i think several times yes. throughout this 7 day ride and in one of the moves cuz like things get like too chaotic or or you know guys are driving trucks full of bricks uh, to deliberately yeah. fuck him up or people are lighting firecrackers like again there's a lot of like attempted sabotage of his ride going on but at one point they're they're leaving one location and it turns into a parade uh and and all the government people are on their radios going like the consulate is being attacked the consulate <laughs> is being attacked <laughs> right. when in reality it's just like yeah like this this traveling bike bedding circus (laughs) (laughs) that's that's
2: rolling through yeah yeah, Uh, yeah man it is funny how there's so much sabotage and then in one of the few moments where one of these onlookers does provide assistance it's still clearly for his own gain because there is one night when Nassim does start to slip and you know just the biological imperatives of the human body needing sleep uh, for all that perpetual motion that he's exposed while riding to start to take him over and he does on kind of like a rainy night he he starts to slip and he eventually does collapse Uh, but then the people who have a lot of money at stake they realize like okay thank god the the ref is still asleep the accordion (laughs) player who is seemingly blind but maybe suspiciously not blind is not playing anymore Uh so is he asleep and what they do then is, like, as he's collapsed there on the ground, they, like, take his shawl and his gear and they, like, toss it on, wrap their face up, and they continue the ride as they drag him, like, underground because there's, like, some sort of hatch, like a glass hatch, that then, like, leads to stairways below this little mini plaza that they're doing this event in, but they are able to get him a couple hours of sleep, and at first I thought, like, oh, wonderful, like, this, uh, this is so nice of them to, like, take care of him, but then immediately became clear. I'm like, oh, of course, these guys just have a a ton of money at stake here. They're not going to let this this whole thing just come crashing down if they can solve the issue. Well, to
0: be fair, though, the replacement rider is the motorcycle man. So he's doing it Not just Mm. for shallow reasons, but Mustachio Man is quick to be like, "Is everyone cool? No one saw that." Like Accordion Man, I know you're not blind. Like (laughs) you better keep your mouth shut. I'm gonna blow up your spot. (laughs) And the (laughs) Accordion Man, of course, is like, "I bet, I bet that he would do it." So don't you got nothing to worry about with me? You know. Uh, And that's yeah, that's like an incredible (laughs) moment. Um, And that whole sequence of of him falling asleep, I think, is just beautiful. It's just like, you know, they really, like, Mokmobov really builds it up, right? Nothing is, like, everything is earned, you know? Like, he'll give us that sequence of him, like, going around in a circle and struggling and falling asleep and struggling and, like, really draws it out in a a beautiful way.
1: In a way that, like, again, in, like, Quicksilver like absolutely nothing is fucking earned and yet everything <laughs> is is being delivered with just such like shameful entitlement. But in but in yeah, but in this, like yeah, everything is is like fucking earned and those moments like matter uh to us. Like we we do care about this guy and we do recognize like how horrible the fucking world is, you know, which which we don't get at <laughs> all in Quicksilver, right? But no but you know it struck me too in that moment with like the motorcycle rider like when he does come and sort of like all right i'm going to spell you on this i'm going to help you and again that like solidarity that they're 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 fellow countrymen and they're both immigrants struggling and on top of that they're both people who are are now left to simply make their livelihood through riding in a circle in these kind of like Dead man's, uh, you know, cycles, whatever you want to call them, just these like spinning around endlessly. It reminded me of, um, you know, it was like a very kind of Nietzsche uh, Nietzschean concept. There's a line, there's this great line in in um, in Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Uh, that's always been one of my favorite lines of of Nietzsche. Is you know he's he's describing this high wire act that comes to a town and, you know, this, this guy who's going to, you know, for all the citizens, you know, do this high wire act for everyone, you know, and, and risk his life and do this death defying stunt, you know, to sort of like enrich people's lives to give them something to, to sort of like see and root for and experience. And, you know, like Nietzsche just talks about how everyone that's down there is just like Kind of hoping he's going to fall for the for the thrill of it, right? And the same thing with the guy riding on his motorcycle. Like the people that are there watching that are, you know, uh, in 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 Nietzsche's eyes, they're like kind of hoping for a disaster, you know, kind of morbidly like wanting to see that. And that's, Bang
0: for your buck,
1: right? And that's the the yeah. the where you know he comes up with the the line: "He who flies is hated most of all." And like I kept thinking about that you know, with Nassim and, and with, like, this motorcycle guy in the sense that, like, here these people are doing this thing and either people are 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 there just kind of, like, hoping for a disaster, hoping for a tragedy, hoping for a person to hurt themselves. Or, you know, again, in the case of Nassim, like, just at times trying desperately to sabotage him. Like, they don't want him to complete this thing. And, like, here this thing is just an amazing act that, you know, on a certain level, whether... You know, you would say, you know, with good intentions or bad, like people are using it at times to try to inspire people, you know, and yet, like through it all, it, it's just like everyone seems just so hostile to Nassim, you know, even like you said, the people who are helping him are doing so, like, not because they care about him as a human being, but just as because, you know, he, he represents, uh, you know, he's just something, some force
0: that's going to give them a payout or a payday when he first pitch, when mustache man first pitches the idea to the rich guy he says something like i've met the most desperate man he was born to be bet on yeah yeah you know like dude yeah and mm-hmm. then
1: when like when they're first setting up and like some of the first like people arrive like there's there's one of the specters i forget who that just says oh is this the place where we're going to watch a guy commit suicide like i mean that's it from yeah. the get go right and again in that nietzschean like kind of way of describing this shit it's like yeah like this guy who's about to do this thing like he's he's there only to be executed
0: right he's right. only there and to And in reality he's doing it to save someone's life you know his wife's right Uh, and that's another thing that's sort of like going on throughout the movie is Nassim's son going back and forth with like the daily wages and I think it's interesting that that Makhmalbath specifically like shows us this like every time it's like not just something that they're gonna forget about in the film it's like we watch the kid go to the hospital and even like bring back hospital leftovers to feed his dad on well, the bicycle
3: like. well,
1: Right I mean And I was even gonna say Like that There was like a, An amazing moment That I felt Was like Just, just like Incredibly uh, Moving Kind of like Humanizing moment and, and also Kind of like Really sort of like Oh just like Darkly Darkly comic sad whatever where like when the kid does go at one point like he comes in and sees his mom's like food and you know here's his sick fucking mom but like he's also starving so he like takes the food and he like goes and like eats a little bit of it in the corner like his sick mom's food like he even himself is kind of like I I, that's I haven't seen chicken like that and I don't know when so he like (laughs) <laughs> eat some of his mom's sick mom's food you know and it's like oh god like
2: this is what it even does to, to us to families and, and, and everything imagine you know? if um, Nasim's son was Kevin Bacon oh god it wouldn't have gone as well no <laughs>
0: There's a lot of amazing split diopters and, like, plays with depth like that. Like, there's there's mm-hmm. the, yes, the, like, aquarium stuff, but also uh, the shots of, like, the lab rats. And, again, Mokmoboff, like hitting us over the head with, you know, the many sort of, like, allegories going on here, metaphors going on. Yeah. But the doctors are testing their drugs on these lab rats, and it's, like, done in a crazy split diopter where, like, the rat is super in focus, and you see, again, everything in the background, the whole circus. Yeah, just a really, like, really interesting visual style that's very, like, mixed depending on the moment, you know? Because... As sort of, like, real as it is, it's all so heightened and just exaggerated Mm -hmm. and, yes, feverish. And
1: even, like, later in the film, I believe, there's, like, this moment when he's really kind of reaching the climax of his journey, when he's really, like, getting close to the end, where there's just this amazing sequence that um it's it's at night and it's dark and it's it's cold and he's hot and they start hitting him with water they start like throwing water on him to kind of cool him down and the steam you see it like in the in the in the shots like coming off of his bald head you know and it's like
2: he's literally again like this engine that is overheating and just starting to smoke yeah that's also the same sequence where he has like little broken-off pieces of toothpicks or sticks in order to prop his eyes open as he keeps writing. So just, like, that combined with the steaming water on this, like, body pushed to the absolute extreme. Yeah, it's a really compelling image. Yeah. And they also have another shot... I don't know if it's at the same sequence, but again, another
1: night shot, whereas Marsh like pointed out earlier, like they've, the you know, people have sort of brought out lights and it's just this like beautiful shot where he's basically like silhouetted, um, mm-hmm. being like captured by the, the spotlight. And that's all that you see is sort of like his silhouette, you know, uh, illuminated by the spotlight moving around in a circle, which again, like brought me back to the circus and you know the the performer who's
2: being like lit up in the you know in the uh, in the big top the whole film itself is like this perpetual motion machine and there are all these elements trying to sabotage it and we've talked about quite a lot of them there are a few others you know they they throw th- tacks down on the ground at one point to try and flatten his wheels um, and they have to <laughs> swap him out with another bike in a really hilarious sequence where they like the guy someone like I think it's mustache man oh, yeah. g- gets in the car of the, the like the hospital van and just like takes off and all the like beakers and gear fall out and the doctors like crash in the glass and then they like tracks down someone on their bicycle and they're like like they take his bike and bring him back and they so they swap the bikes and they say like all right you can take his bike and you can fill up these tires and once you bring it back like you could get your bike back you know like that's the solution for that sequence and then at another point we talked about how this there was this sense of um, like an insurrection, maybe potentially brewing, then the government starts to get involved at this fear of solidarity. They come up with a plan saying like, listen, we'll take care of the wife's medical bills if he stops right now, which is a really horrifying, you know, interjection and attempt at sabotage, just being like, well, we've had this capability all along, you know, but it's like, well, now that he's bugging us, you know we got to like nip this in the bud but that that is also like stopped he like continues to keep going and i mean he continues to ride through the final image of the film yeah. even after the event has ceased and he has like reached the the seven days you know the film does end on a freeze frame when he's still on the bicycle
0: yeah and i love that last day like day seven because again as the film's gone along it's getting more urban and they're getting more into the city center and so on the last day there's like full media like a guy out there with like a bolex and you know lots of photographers and the crowd is is massive and growing
1: and we see the guy on the dolly crane
0: yes yes <laughs> and we and we eventually do see the guy on the dolly crane and like it's so chaotic because at a certain point they pronounce the race finished and he just keeps riding and they're you know like the the MC guy like gets on the microphone and he's like okay, well, uh, this is uh, this is very good, but we need heroes to live in society. And he like, <laughs> yeah, keeps yeah. repeating that line, like, please,
3: please stop. <laughs>
0: and then there's this whole like media parody basically segment where like the media's trying to like ask Nassim questions and he just keeps riding and they're like what's your opinion about prosperity uh and it's like all these oh my god I was fucking crying during that. And again,
1: right, because it does give us the sort of, like, stratification of the society, like, starting with, you know, what you would consider in, in most societies to be, you know, the least respected or, you know, lowest on the totem pole, right? The immigrant.
2: The day the, the
1: undocumented, right, yeah, the, the, the person who is, like, here. And yet, as we've said, you know, if anyone knows anything about the fucking world, it's like, what is that kinetic force that's often, like, driving these, like, incredibly complex like you neoliberal know, economies it's just like people fucking dying uh, to, to to drive that machine of capital at the, at the very base you know like sort of like grease its gears with their blood and sweat right but also again for me like why that that ending uh, again like just like the perfect way to end a you know a critique of of our existence in this, in this, you know, Ryan, used the phrase or like neoliberal hellscape, right? This global economy <laughs> that, that, that just chews us up and spits us out because it's like, I, I took it again as sort of, you know, like Marsh, you're saying there's so many allegories and metaphors, right? And this, this act of, of us, like how, how we get the idea of like a job dangled in front of us and like, you know, you only got to do it for so long, right? And and you just, you get in there, you do the thing, you work hard, and then you're going to be rewarded. And it's all over. And it's like, what happens to us in our lives? We get on that bike and we ride. And next thing we know, our whole life has just gone by as we've spun around in a circle over and over again, trying to make it, trying to provide, trying to pay the hospital bills, trying to eat, trying to deal with our diarrhea, trying to whatever, right? And then it's like, and people will tell you like, and then you know what, eventually you'll just retire and everything will be great, but we don't. And look at the fucking world we live in today where people are like, our parents are all still fucking working. And like They've been on the bike for fucking 70 years. Like, yeah. they don't know how to get off because the world... It's not built for them to get off the bike. And at a certain point, you also just, the world disappears, and all you know is that bike. And without that bike, It's like, you know, it's like, think about it when you've, when you've been on like a treadmill for a very long time or on an exercise bike, you know, and then you step off it for a second and you just feel like you and the world are not moving at the same pace at all. You know, it's this weird feeling. And that's why, you know, like, man, when we got to that moment of him, just like, he's still on the goddamn bike and everybody's like, you can get off now. It's like. He's he can't. He's going to be on that bike forever now. He doesn't know how to get off. No one no one can actually tell him how to get off. Everything has been
2: built around him to keep him on that goddamn bike. It was something I had was thinking about while watching, you know, just wondering how it could possibly end and how there could be any satisfying conclusion where he isn't still on the bike. And when I was doing a little bit of reading, I came across the Mokmoboff family official website, uh, com, <laughs> And it has, it has an entry on this film. And I think it's just a curious issue with the translation, but it it has Nassim as the wife who is trying to save uh, her husband, who is bedridden and ill through this act. But on this page, it also includes a director's statement of sorts where he talks about this incident happening in real life. When he was a kid where there was someone who was planning to cycle around for 10 days in order to help the flood victims of Pakistan and how it kind of grew into this myth amongst the town and everyone in town and how people started to doubt whether that was the purpose of this act. And eventually, by the end, it was or it was on the seventh day that this man collapsed, supposedly. So Makhmabov wasn't there. And he says the story has been told multiple different ways, that he had collapsed and that he was dead before he fell. He had heard the story then about the same man being repeated in other cities, that he was still alive <laughs> and still doing this stunt, and that the cyclist is not just a special person in some places. It is a class, a society, a nation. Got him.
0: Well said, director of the film. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that's
0: awesome.
1: Right? But again, a big, huge difference between the two, right? Is that like Quicksilver ends yeah. with this sense of like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you leveled up. But in this, it's, it's nothing other than an endless loop, right? An endless spiral. There is no leveling up for this, dude.
2: I was joking, not joking, in the sense that uh, maybe this isn't literally a response film uh, from Machmabov for Quicksilver <laughs> in particular. But, uh, you know, leave it to the gauntlet to discover something that could very, very easily be seen as a response film in terms of the uh, ideological battle that is occurring between um both of these titles. And uh yeah, it was a really it was a unique week for sure. It was um I, there was a lot to to chew over and discover with these films next to each other, two films that I probably yeah under no circumstances at any other point in my life would have ever uh, placed side by side or even had considered side by side. But yeah, so I mean, that's what, what we found this week, Marsh. Um, it was a fun prompt. And um, yeah, what, what would you say are some of your favorite uh, cycling cinema? Well, uh, I... I got
0: two I want to shout out, Uh, the first being Jour de Fête, the Jacques Tati film from the late Mm. 1940s, where he plays a uh, small-town mailman who rides around on his bike, and if you know the cinema of Jacques Tati, you know that means uh, comic set pieces all day involving bicycles, and it's just a very propulsive and fun film. But... Of course, my favorite cycling-related film is the obvious one, Breaking Away, from 1979, directed by Peter Yates. I'm a good Midwestern boy, and I like my cinema set in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, where the film concerns a a group of friends who are all uh, the children of the working class, uh, the limestone cutters. The cutters. Uh, And they uh, are bumming around uh, after high school, and it's hard to live in a college town when you're a townie. And one of them, played by Dennis Christopher, uh, is a serious cyclist and has like cycling aspirations, and he also uh, pretends to be Italian to get (laughs) laid. (laughs) Um, But uh, on the flip side, he's got his other friends, you know, Daniel Stern and Jackie Earl Haley and uh, Dennis Quaid. uh, And they are all these just sort of burnouts who are clashing with the preppy yuppies and college kids. And this all culminates in the bicycle race, the Little 500, which is a real event that I've been to several times where all of the fraternities and and other groups, uh, you know, on campus have this big bike race. And so in the film The Cutters the you know the townies get a team into the race and the film culminates uh, with a bike race and it kicks a lot of ass and I love I love the film it's it's very touching it's very funny it's very well directed by Peter Yates and it's also got a great turn by everyone's favorite dad Paul Dooley uh, as, the orn- as the ornery <laughs> uh, you know just I built this place uh, son you know stop talking to me about Italian cycling you know <laughs> right, why are yeah. talk about hot dogs he's like a used car salesman <laughs> yeah you know?
2: it's too bad that Robert Altman never remade the cyclist starring <laughs> Paul Dooley as the cyclist oh god
0: sign me up so andy next week it is your topic uh what do you got going on for us well uh i guess
1: similar to my last uh topic i was uh once again uh enraptured by a a bit of news out there in the world and uh you know the 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 basic bro in me is showing here you know the person who just sometimes gets wrapped up in a good old-fashioned media scandal, um, and especially when there's uh, a, a bit of mystery or intrigue in that uh, in that news uh, circus, uh, and uh, as of late, I I must admit I I have been a bit wrapped up in the old uh, Gabby Petito disappearance and the disappearance of her boyfriend brian laundry so uh you know not to really get too into that right now but it does bring me to my topic for you both uh since this scandal was involving people who'd gone at one point or another missing our topic for next week is missing
0: persons all right sounds great very if good we can find them as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Gauntlet Movies or send us an email at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com.
2: Thanks, everyone.
3: Over there, that's Franz. Tour de France. You know what he does? He's a ballet dancer. <laughs> really? That's Teddy Bear and Airborne. Airborne, I, I was going to be the middleweight champion. Teddy Bear's just saving up to go back to college. Educated and dedicated. These to be college professors. The rest of them around here just come and goes. They come, try to ride a couple of days. They can't hack it, so they go. Come and goes.
2: Don't worry, I'll hack it.